You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. If he had been faithful for a lifetime, he might have found more fulfillment in his marriage relationship than he did. We remember that David's own experience to love with women was not according to God's will. His multiplication of marriages kept him from God's ideal. And once again, that was one man and one woman in a one flesh relationship. But because of that, he never experienced the fulfillment that God wanted him to experience. We admire David for his humble heart before God. But there are those who would use his behavior as an excuse. They would say, well, David sinned greatly and look how God used him. That's true. And God absolutely will use people despite their sin when they humble themselves and submit to him. But as Pastor Mike will challenge us to ask in today's message, what greater things did David miss out on because he chose to serve self instead of God? How much more could God have used him? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 1 as he continues his message, Life's Transitions and New Beginnings. This Amalekite, who might have been a mercenary, who had joined forces together with the Philistines. Again, it's open and subject to speculation. We really don't know much about this Amalekite who all of a sudden appears upon the scene. He may have been a mercenary. He might have been just a plunderer. You know, after the battle ensued, as I mentioned before, it had been a while. So maybe he just went back to where uh, Saul and the rest of the armies of Israel lied uh, dead there on the field, there within their uh, camp, and he just plundered the bodies. And uh, so we really don't uh, know. But anyway, this Amalekite, more than likely he was a mercenary, who seeks out David in Ziglag, announces by his uh, disheveled appearance, notice there in verse 2, and I believe that this was done purposely, uh, indicating he is the bearer of bad news. He tore his clothes and he put dust on his head. Saul is dead, indicating that Saul is dead. And I don't know if he was actually grieving for Saul or simply following the custom of his times. Possibly he was seeking David's favor. Again, he thought that David would reward him for bringing this news, that he would be pleased with the news that he had just received. Intimating he shares the grief of those to whom he is bringing this news to. Now, 
His attitude also implies that he recognizes David as Israel's new king. And how was that indicated? By giving him Saul's crown, notice, and bracelets. This was a demonstration and a show of loyalty. And again, possibly he was expecting to be compensated by David for the supposed loyalty. Well, anyway, notice David's response to this news. Okay, let's go back to our text now, verses 11 and uh, 12. Therefore, David took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And so they showed their sorrow by lamentation, weeping, and fasting. Now, at first glance, you know, you read this account and you got to be amazed. I mean, think about it. When you consider for the last 10 years or so, Saul is David's enemy. And he's seeking to take David's life from him. So then that raises the question in my mind, why in the world would David be mourning for Saul's death? David is mourning, you see, for a life that is now ended, one that had initially been so full of promise. And he's just heartbroken. Why? Because he was thinking about what could have been. You know, Saul, if you think about it, if he would have just remained faithful to God, completely obedient to God, God would have used him to bring Israel to the zenith of its glory. But now we find that, notice, Saul is dead. All of his three sons are dead. Uh, all of the armies of Israel are killed. And now they find themselves in a very precarious situation under Philistine occupation. So how does this relate to you and to me? You know, I, I mourn when I hear news about, you know, someone who at one time was walking ever so closely together with the Lord, and then I find out that they had turned their back upon God, and they had gone back to their old ways, their old worldly ways, and they're no longer serving the, the Lord. And, uh, and occasionally you get the phone call, and they come back in, for counseling, and they begin to rehearse all of the terrible things that have gone on since they've turned their back upon the Lord. And I think about, you know, how many years, for some it's been years. I've been involved in ministry now for a, quite a long time, almost 40 years in, in all. And I think about all of those years that had been wasted, all of the uh, blessings that had been forfeited just simply because of their disobedience unto uh, the Lord. They're no longer receiving God's best uh, for them. How? Because of their disobedience and giving themselves over to uh, sin. And they've suffered needlessly. You know, when you're just thinking about what could have been, they put themselves through that. You know, the only person that they can blame is them, themselves. They turn their back upon God and they walk away. I mean, think about it. Not only Saul's life was through his disobedience, was killed, but also his three sons. Not only his three sons, but all of the, uh, the men that were a part of his bodyguards. There were 2,000 in all, but also the armies of Israel. 
Now, remember last time together we were talking about the far-reaching effect of sin. You know, when we choose to sin, it affects everyone around us, particularly our loved ones, right? Like, for example, and I think I used this as an example last time, when a husband walks away from his wife and their, and their children, you know, the wife suffers. The children suffer. Now they're without a father who can provide for them. And, uh, and the, the wife and the children are scarred. You know, I wonder how many of us carry the scars of other people's sin in our lives. The results of the wrong choices that our parents have made. The scars that we carry around with us today. Oh, the far-reaching effect of sin in people's lives. You understand what I'm talking about? God help us. God help us. Well, notice here, though vassals of the Philistines, that is David and his men, their true identity, notice there in verse 12, has always been with the people of God. They're lamenting, they're crying, they're fasting. And then in verses 13 through 16, let's pick up now in this chapter. Then David said to the young man, the Amalekite, who told him, where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. And so David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. Uh-oh, this guy's in big trouble. Remember, on several different occasions, David had the opportunity to kill Saul to stop him from chasing him down to kill him. But he wouldn't do that. Why? Because he figured that would have been God's business to remove him. If God set him up as the king, then it was God's responsibility to remove him as the king. And so though... David had several opportunities to kill Saul and put an end you know, to him trying to track him down to kill him. He would not put his hand. Why? Because he was God's anointed. Again, he felt as if you know, that would have been God's responsibility to remove him as a king. So he mentions that. And not only as he addressed it, this was a law of the land. You did not mess around with the king. That is God's anointed. You did not mess around with the, the king. That was a law of the land that had been established during this uh, time. So again, verse 14, so David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men that was a part of his uh, military and said, go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he uh, died. Okay, I bet you he wasn't expecting that. So after the mercenary concluded his story, everyone around him is weeping. David partly recovers from his grief. David inquires of this Amalekite. Now, as I mentioned, just a little bit background, those who had taken up residency within the borders of Israel were obligated, were obliged to adhere to the nation's God-given laws. And as I mentioned, you don't mess around with God's anointed. You never put your hand upon God's anointed. And as a resident, he could not plead ignorance of this law. That is this Amalekite. So instead of the reward he was seeking for one of David's men, falls upon him and he is slain. Just one more evidence that David did not participate in Saul's death or rejoiced in Saul's demise. And then in verses 17 through 27, let's move on here in this chapter, we have what is 
we could refer to as David's eulogy, sort of a requiem for the dead. David, you see, does not want these great men to be forgotten. Saul, his three sons, his bodyguards, the thousands who perished in this battle. David does not want these great men to be forgotten. And so what does he do? He instructs that the song he has composed be taught to the people, sort of memorializing them. Notice in verse 18, we read here, and he told them to teach the children of Judah, so the, the next generations, David composed his song concerning this battle, the loss of the lives of Saul, his sons, and their men. And this was to memorialize those who had fell in this battle. Then David uh, here, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. So that's the way it was referred to, the song. The song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The book of Jasher? What is the book of uh, Jasher? Well, this happens to be a book that has been lost. But there's also other references to this book in the Bible. For example, it's referred to in the book of Joshua in chapter 10 in verse 13. Many people believe that it was a collection of poems accompanied by introductory and explanatory remarks in prose, similar to what the book of Psalms is. A little background, a little trivia. In 1751, an English translation of a volume allegedly was found, but after careful examination, it was declared a forgery. But nevertheless, its purpose was that all who sang it were able to reflect upon what was noble and praiseworthy in the lives of the fallen. Okay, so let's take a look at this song that was composed by David, verses 19 and 20. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. So this is the chorus. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Uh, these were the various cities that were occupied by the Philistines. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Let the daughters of the uncircumcised uh, triumph. Okay, so through the heavy clouds of war and oppression still hang over the land, David's patriotism shines brightly. He keenly feels the disgrace of the people. They had been defeated by the Philistines, and he wishes to silence the joy and the happiness of their enemies. But I want you to notice, as we go through this song that was composed by David, there's no hint of Saul had it coming, that he only got his just deserves. There's an absence of anything like that, and I found, I found that kind of interesting. The truth, of the, told, the, the truth be told, he did have this coming. This was really a, just God's you know, judgment that had fallen upon a Saul because of his disobedience. But there's not a hint of that in the song that David had uh, constructed. And then as if to involve the land itself in mourning for the fallen, verses 21 and 22, we read, O mountains of Gilboa, and remember Gilboa was where Saul had placed 
his camp, that was where the armies, the camp of Israel was located there on Mount Gilboa. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offering, for the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. So it's as if David is involving the land itself in mourning for the fallen. And then David goes on and declares, the beauty of Israel has fallen on Mount Gilboa. And at this time, such a loss was unparalleled in the history of Israel. And that is why he and his people are lamenting. That's why David and his people are fasting. I mean, a national tragedy should be followed by a national day of mourning. You know, this would be the equivalent of the assassination of one of our presidents in the past. Or sort of like a 9-11 event, right? And, uh, you know, a national day of uh, mourning. So the land had been given to them by God, and so David concluded, let the land enter into their sorrow. And then in verses 23 and 24, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You know, maybe he was thinking about, you know, there's not a hint of, you know, Saul getting his just deserves. Maybe he's thinking about Saul's beginnings. And remember, when Saul first ascended to the throne, it was a good beginning. He actually established many good religious reforms throughout the land in the beginning. He was successful in battle. You know, as he obeyed the Lord, God went before him in battle, and he actually destroyed many of the enemies of Israel. So maybe David, in constructing this song, was thinking about Saul's beginnings. I don't, he's certainly not referring to his ending, that's for sure. Well, anyway, uh, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Verse 24, O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. And then David cannot finish his song without giving special tribute to his friend Jonathan, describing his own personal loss. Verses 25 through 27, the concluding verses here in this chapter 1. And we read, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Now this is interesting. You know, really, what David is saying here is that he had a closer, a closer relationship with his close friend, Jonathan, than he did with his wives. And there was a reason for that. I'll get to that in just, just a moment. He had a closer relationship with Jonathan than he had a relationship with any of his wives, surpassing the love of women, how, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. You see, if David had only followed God's plan for marriage, and what was that plan for marriage? One woman to one man, if he had been faithful for a lifetime, he might have found more fulfillment in his marriage relationship than he did. 
we remember that David's own experience to love with women was not according to God's will. His multiplication of marriages kept him from God's ideal. And once again, that was one man and one woman in a one-flesh relationship. But because of that, he never experienced the fulfillment that God wanted him to experience. Well, anyway, we see here in the construction of this song, the heart of David. He's owning his and his nation's loss. He's grieving over these men and reminding the people of all that was best in their character. And so the chapter ends. And what do we take away from this? Well, talk about trans. Remember what we're talking about. Remember the title of this morning's message. Life's Transitions and New Beginnings. And truly, David had just gone through not only one, but many transitions in his life's experience. And David was able to survive those transitional phases of his life. And now, as we will see over the next couple of weeks, he will now enter into a new beginning as the new king over Israel. Why? Because of his integrity and his trust in God. You see, those were the very things that safeguarded him in those times of transitions. Okay, so let me ask you a couple of questions. Someone here today may be going through one of these difficult periods of transitions in your own life's experience. You know, I I wonder, I wonder. I'm not going to ask you to lift up or raise your hand. But uh, again, this is just common to life's experience. And just because we're Christians, we're not exempt from this sort of thing. Be sure, though, if you have given your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's the key, you're in good hands. And that transition is just a springboard to a new beginning. Something better. There's always something better on the horizon as a believer in Christ as Jesus, as your Lord and Savior. In the 29th chapter, in the book of Jeremiah, in verse 11, there we are told, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope that is an expected end. But remember, the key to all of this is, are you in Christ or not in Christ? If you're not in Christ... Listen, you have real reasons to be concerned about those transitional periods that you might be going through right now because there's no rhyme or reason for going through them and those things can wipe you out. I would suggest that if you haven't made that choice and decision for Christ, that you make it before you stand to your feet and walk out that back door. There's too much at stake. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online, just go to the Resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com. 
and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You get directions and service times at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram too. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for